So I thought I would talk just a little bit, do a short talk. <laughs> I'll see if I can do a short talk. Um, just a short talk on a few aspects of meditation. Then I wanted to do some guidance around body scanning. And then the next couple weeks, I wanted to do at least one meditation on body part meditation and some stuff on the elements. But I thought it'd be helpful to get us grounded in what we know best. And I've said this before, and I, I still stand by it. I think it's really important as meditators that we understand why we are doing what we're doing. It is very easy, I know this from experience, it's very easy to be mindlessly mindful, right? To sit on the cushion and kind of go through the motions and wandering mind, breath, and loving kindness. And it can get rote, it can get boring. Um, it's easy to lose track of the intention of what we're doing. And so much of the Dharma is really about intention and uh, being awake and aware while we're doing things. So it's really helpful to remember what we're doing and why we're doing it, most importantly. And, you know, it helps to reflect on what are the skills that we're developing when we're sitting in meditation, right? What are we learning? What heart-mind qualities are being developed? What habits are being left behind? What new ones are being cultivated? It really helps for us to understand or at least have a framework of how does healing actually take place in the meditation? Because then when you're in the meditation, it gives you something more to be awake and aware to. It gives us something to sort of latch on to in our practice. Otherwise, it's very easy to kind of just space out and let the mind kind of drift. And it might be restful and it might be nourishing to some degree, but it is easy to get lost in the sensations of meditation and forget that meditation really is a heart-mind training. We're here to learn about ourselves, right? We're here to learn something. It is a practice. Uh, the same way you learn to play guitar or learn to play the piano or play a sport, you know, all the drills and all the tools and techniques, you're learning something. You're becoming a player of consciousness, so to speak, with our mind-body organism being the instrument, being the canvas, the instrument of our own creation. And so it really is helpful to remind ourselves what we're doing and what is the purpose of the different aspects of meditation. And they're very easy to forget. I know my own self. I often sit down and before I know it, the meditation is over and I forgot what I was doing. So I wanted to go down the list here. Whenever you're talking, whenever you ask yourself, okay, why am I engaging in a particular meditation practice? There is a quick answer to that, <clears throat> which is you always ask yourself, what did the Buddha discover? And how is this meditation designed to help me have the same discovery? Because the Buddha had an insight. He was practicing certain things, and those things led to a particular way of being, a particular opening in the heart and the mind. So if you ever get lost on the path and you don't understand what a technique or tool is supposed to be or some concept, it always helps me to ask, well, what is this whole path about? It's about happiness. It's about letting go of suffering. And so that's a helpful place to start. It's always good to remember that the biggest aspect or... The clearest aspect that I can find to really latch onto with, with all the Buddhist ideas and all the lists is just to remind myself that I play a role in my suffering, that I play a role in my happiness, and that all of these tools are designed to help me understand, to help us understand how to play that role in a way that leads to freedom, right? We're already participating in life, but how can we do it intentionally? How can we be awake and aware in such a way that we cultivate more happiness, we let go of stress and discontent. That's really what's going on no matter what the meditation practice is. We are learning what role we're playing in the creation of our own suffering and our own happiness. And we're learning to change that role for the better so we can become awake and aware to the things that we're doing that are causing the harm, harm to ourselves and harm to others. Another way to look at it is the human heart and human mind have a natural tendency to run away from suffering. So in order to understand its nature, meditation practice teaches us to hold it, to lean into it, to be more comfortable with it. So no matter what meditation practice we're doing, one of the things we're learning is how to lean in and hold suffering in our heart and mind without running away, which is our natural tendency. 
accepting, embracing the discontent. All of our meditation practices in some way are inviting us to do this. Another aspect of meditation practice that's easy to forget is that the mind and heart, the mind mostly, but the heart as well, are moving at such rapid speeds. Everything that's going on internally is happening at such crazy speeds. They say that the mind does a thousand activities every second. Every second, a thousand different activities are being engaged in. How can you keep track? How can you watch? How can you see something that's moving so quickly, right? And our mind and our heart is so much in command of how we feel, how we think, how we live. And so what's going on inside is very quick. So no matter what meditation practice you're doing, meditation is helping us slow down the mind. It's helping us be centered in the present. So this rapid burst of emotion, craving, aversion, depression, anxiety, future, past, all of this intense, rapid energy, all this frenetic and kinetic energy, we can bring down to a level that we can really see, really experience. This is samadhi, concentration. So no matter what meditation we're practicing, the tools are always designed so we can be awake and aware and we can see clearly what's happening. The slower the mental phenomenon, the easier it is to see how we're participating. But because it's moving so quickly, very difficult to see without some kind of meditation practice, some kind of intentional training of the heart and mind to see what's going on inside. And the last thing I like to remind myself of when I'm getting lost in what I should be doing is to remember that there are two primary tools that we engage in in most of our meditation practices. One is letting go, and the second one is fabrication or creating or changing the experience. So one is letting the experience be, and the other is changing or engaging the experience and some kind of intermediary between the two, right? Some kind of balance between the two. So if you look at your practice, when you sit, let's say you're going to go do walking meditation, or you're going to go do body scanning meditation, or body part, or death contemplation. When you look at all these practices, you can ask yourself, how does this practice allow me to slow down my mind so I can see what role I'm playing in this present moment? How is this practice keeping my mind steady and stable so I can see clearly. How is this practice allowing me to experiment with how I am shaping the emotions and the thoughts and the physicality of this present moment? These are the kind of things we can reflect on as we begin practice or as we're in practice. If our mind gets lost and we're not sure what skillful act I should be doing moment to moment, we can remember these things. If you think of it in terms of the tools that you're familiar with, mindfulness allows us to lean into the suffering. Concentration slows the process down so we can see it. You put those two things together and you begin to see clearly your role, the role that you're playing. We then change that role using equanimity, the letting go, or the fabrication to experiment with karma to see if I think differently in this moment, what happens to the suffering? Instead of calling somebody some kind of name, what if I think a loving kindness thought in this moment? Does the suffering change? If I have pain in my knee and I'm feeling contracted and I let it go and let go of that contraction, what happens to the pain? So as we can begin to see what's arising, we then engage and we engage in these two ways, letting go and co-creation or fabrication with what's going on in the present moment. All the tools we learn have some parts of these going at all times. So it's just some place to ground you. And I like to remind myself of this. I'll give you a little bit more detail on letting go and fabrication, since these are two of the biggest things that we do in meditation. I'm going to start with letting go and just say a few words on this. The funny thing about letting go, <laughs> we also call it equanimity, right? Equanimity, the enlightenment factor. We Letting go is kind of the more common phrase. So the, the irony or the, maybe I don't want to say the myth of equanimity is that it is non-doing. We have this idea that not reacting is non-doing, but actually equanimity is a very active process. 
And as you know, letting go takes energy. It takes effort. It takes practice. It doesn't happen by itself, right? And, and letting go is not easy. And especially if it's something that's very triggering or something that's been going on in your life for years and years and years, letting go of a mind state or a grudge or something that you really wanted and you can't have, that is not an easy task. It's a very active task to let go. So sometimes we look at equanimity as being non-activity when in fact it's quite active. The key here is that equanimity is a passive act. It's passive but it is an action. It takes skillful effort and it takes reflection, right? And it takes effort. It's, there's going to be some mindful effort involved in letting go. And the reason I mention that is because everything we do in the Dharma changes our relationship to the present moment experience. So letting go changes the world, right? Letting go of anger changes the world. Letting go of restlessness, agitation, and worry changes your life. So it's not a non-doing. You're not doing nothing, but you are engaging in a passive activity. So think of equanimity as a relaxed action, but don't think of it as a non-action because it is very much something that has to be practiced and has to be done intentionally. And keep in mind that letting go alters your reality significantly, right? It's a huge part of the path. It's just not neutral, I guess is what I'm saying. It's not neutral. Passive, but not neutral. The other reason I'm sort of identifying that as, as a myth, it's because many people are afraid to do the next part, which is the fabrication part of the path, because they think the goal is to not do anything, right? But we're never not doing. We're always doing something. We're engaging with the world in some way. So fabrication is when we look at what's arising in the present moment, and we intentionally make changes in the meditation, we do some kind of change to see what happens. We are already participating in the present moment. Everything we experience, like in this moment, in this room, we all have a sense of who we are, and we have a sense of the room, well, your own room, <laughs> and the digital room, I suppose. So we all have the sense of the room. That experience is in part being created by small little reactivities that you can't even see. Little habit patterns, right? You have a habit of seeing me in a particular way, of hearing me in a particular way. So right now, your experience of Gregory giving a Dharma talk is constructed by your past experiences of me, what you're expecting me to say and how you expect me to say it. It's not raw data. You are co-creating me in your mind, in your heart, and the emotion you feel in this moment, you're also participating. It's just happening so quickly, we can't see it. So it feels like it's happening to us or that we're in it, like we've been dropped into a swimming pool. We don't realize we actually dug the pool, filled it with water, and then jumped in. We only experience the jumping in part most of the time. The reason fabrication is so important in the Dharma, and I believe it was Tanisro Bhikkhu who put it this way, and I've, I've always loved this image. I think he said, if you find that you have a really tough knot in your shoe, you may not know how the knot got there, which is why you have such a hard time untangling the knot, because you're not quite sure exactly how the knot was put together. So one way to learn how to untie a knot is to first learn to tie it, to understand how it got knotted in the first place. Suffering is a knot, right? We've created the suffering, and we don't know how it got there. So we're pulling on it, we're tugging on it, we're trying to let go, we're trying to do loving kindness, we're trying to look at the wandering mind, but we're just not quite sure how the suffering was created. So we play with the sensations to practice engaging so we can see, oh, if I think in a particular way, that causes suffering. If I think in this way, that causes a sense of ease. So we practice fabricating, co-creating reality. So when we get to those knots, we know how they're created and we can unravel them quite quickly once we have the experience. So it's kind of a counterintuitive way of learning to unbind ourselves, learning to de-stress by figuring out, okay, how did this stress get created in the first place? And there's three ways we can practice with this. The first is with the body. In our meditation, we can change the way we breathe. We can breathe deeper. We can breathe slower. We can breathe faster. We can hold our breath at the top of the inhale 
We can do a few rapid breaths followed by some slow breaths. We can do short, long, long, short. We can change the way we breathe. And when we change the way we breathe, the, is, the insight that happens from that is, oh my gosh, if I breathe in this way, my shoulders become more relaxed. If I breathe in this other way, my mood changes. Or when you change your breathing, you begin to feel some constriction that you didn't notice before, some contraction in the chest or some tension in the abdomen. So we can change our breathing. We call this bodily fabrication. We change the way our body is feeling, the way it's moving, the way we're inhaling, exhaling. We have some control over that. People who experience anxiety tends to have shallow breathing. So when we're anxious, slow deep breathing can be hugely helpful because we're co-creating the experience of anxiety. So bodily fabrication, we change the way our body feels, changes the mood, changes the expansiveness of the heart. Another thing we can do is we can add a verbalization. That can be counting. Many of you are familiar with counting the breaths. Verbal is counting and mantra. So the other one is like loving kindness phrases. You're adding to the experience. Ever notice that on a good day, this doesn't always happen, and I know loving kindness is challenging for all of us, but when you call to the altar of your heart something good and you wish well for people, suddenly your mood changes. You're co-creating the mood by your thinking. That's why we practice loving kindness. Loving kindness teaches us that our thinking and our aspirations affect how we feel and how we show up moment to moment. That's the practice, right? When we're knotted up, we're probably having a negative thought train. We're having some contraction of the heart. We're probably thinking in terms of grudge. When we change that and fabricate a positive attitude, suddenly mood changes. So we can think differently. The Buddha uses the term verbal fabrication to mean how we talk to ourselves in our head. That's basically all that that means. And then the last one is mental fabrication, which is using visualization, imagination. Different traditions do it differently, but most of the time, when I teach mental fabrication, I encourage people to imagine breath moving in and out of the body, or imagining the muscles relaxing, imagine tension leaving the body. This is all changing the moment. And by practicing this, we can get a whole new sense of who we are by practicing these kind of things intentionally. And so you see, if you've ever done loving kindness, you've already been practicing verbal fabrication. If you ever did any visualization, you were already practicing mental fabrication. If you ever changed your breathing, you were already practicing the bodily one. So these are things we're already doing, but it's helpful to put them in context because all of our meditations can adopt and use these type of techniques. And as we learn to do them, we begin to see what role we're playing in our own experience moment to moment. And we begin to train the mind to act in a way that allows us to show up with more tranquility and more joy and more compassion, more deep connection to ourselves, which allows us to be more deeply connected to others. So in any given moment in our meditation, we can either let go and let the experience be, which is an action, it's a passive action, or we can take a more active approach and we can change something ever so slightly. We can add something. So we can either add or take away Two different things that we can do. Both teach us the nature of the mind. Both give us insight into who we are as people and how our mind and body operates. That is the insight. That's why they call it a heart-mind training because we're learning how to do it. Very similar to like um, learning a new physical activity and needing a new muscle memory. So if you're gonna learn to play an instrument learning to play chords and scales, strumming a guitar. First few times to do it, it's going to be really weird. After a while, it's just like really easy to play the music. Same with these kind of things. Changing your breathing might feel weird, might feel forced. Using a visualization might be very awkward until you realize that you can visualize and the body will respond. The heart will respond, right? When you imagine people being transformed by loving kindness, suddenly there's a wakeful, delightful, joyful sense to your disposition. We can do that. We can change things. We can participate because we're already participating. So we just want to participate with intention. That's the main thing here. 
participate with wakefulness and intention so we learn how we're shaping our experience so we can choose to shape our experience in a way where we can show up with kindness, gentleness, and generosity. And that becomes the wisdom. That becomes the wisdom of the present moment. The last thing I wanted to say before we do another guided meditation is to remember the nature of the wandering mind. No matter what meditation practice you're doing, there's going to be wandering mind because the mind's nature is to wander. So everyone who is human who practices this has to deal with the wandering mind. And instead of going to war with it, we engage it in particular ways. But I wanted to remind you what the, the wandering mind actually is because it's really easy to misunderstand it. And if we don't understand what it is, then we don't understand what to do with it. So there's two parts of this. The mind wanders because that's its habit. So every time the mind wanders away and we bring it back, we are teaching it a new habit. So that's part of the skill. So if you just sat on your meditation for hour after hour and every time the one wind wandered and you brought it back, that's perfect meditation practice. You're learning to change the habit of the mind. Perfectly good practice. You wouldn't have to do anything else if you wanted to just learn to do that. There's something else here though. The mind wanders when it's discontent. If it's contented, it's gonna stay in the present moment. So when there's wandering mind, there is always suffering present in consciousness. If there wasn't, the mind would just sit. You'd say, hey, be with breath, and the mind's like, great, breath is fun, I'll stay here. But instead, it wanders off because of discontent. So anytime the mind wanders, no matter what meditation practice you're doing, discontent has arisen in consciousness. And something else will always, always be present, one of the five hindrances. The hindrances are just the masks or costumes that suffering wears inside, that we can see inside of our meditation. It's just how it shows up. So when a mind wanders, it wanders away with one of the hindrances, craving, aversion, agitation, worry, doubt. So anytime there's wandering mind, there's always a hindrance present, there is always suffering present. This is hugely helpful to remember, hugely helpful to remember. Because when we invite the mind to come back, when we're working with the five hindrances, we are engaging in deep psychological healing. Every time we invite that mind back, we are awakening the heart and awakening the mind at its deepest level. And we might not know why the mind is wandering. We might not know that that agitation is connected to my dad or my workday or my children. It doesn't matter what the wandering mind is connected to necessarily. It's just we need to know that when it wanders, there is suffering. And when we bring it back, we are decreasing the suffering at a deep level of the consciousness. We don't really know how it works neurologically, but it, we know from experience, obviously, that it works. So no matter what meditation you're doing, remember that anytime you're working with the hindrances or the wandering mind, you are purifying unskillful, aversive habits at the deepest level of consciousness. That is the work. So walking meditation, running meditation, whatever, meditation while you're cooking, while you're cleaning, mind wanders away, suffering has arisen, I bring it back, I'm healing suffering at the deepest level of the mind. And that is really important to remember because it's easy to forget that the wandering mind is something we need to contend with. What I'd like to do, this was my idea, is to engage in some body scanning practice. And within the body scanning practice, I am going to show you how bodily fabrication, verbal fabrication, and mental fabrication work with this kind of practice. So you can kind of see how many different ways you can experiment with consciousness using this simple tool. And so we'll move up and down the body in different ways, and I'll point out what the fabrications are. And this will help you to get some more tools in your toolbox and give us a chance to do some more meditation together. So if you need to, since we've been sitting for another, we sat, that was like 25 minute talk or so. Why don't everyone just stand up just for a second, just to get the body up before we go back into meditation because we have been sitting, which means there's contraction of muscles. 
just move for a second or two. It's so easy to get tensed up without even realizing it. Grab a bell. Okay, get comfortable again. And let's plop into the present. We'll do some classic meditation with a little bit of a twist. All right, let's get situated. Take a couple long, slow, deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth and really relax all the muscles as you do your exhale. That's bodily fabrication. Intentionally relax as you exhale. Long, slow inhale. Relax the shoulders, the spine, arms and legs. Intentionally relaxing is an act of bodily fabrication. And I want you to take a, another very intentional, long, slow, deep breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. And as you exhale, toss a little mental fabrication. I want you to imagine all the stress and tension flowing out of the body from the top of the head all the way out your feet. Mental fabrication, breathing in and as we exhale, imagine all the stress and tension moving out from the top of the head and out the bottom of your feet. Now let's bring awareness. Let's start with the face. Bring awareness to that location in the universe, that part of this body we call face. And take note of where you can feel sensations. Where there is life, there are sensations. Every little tiny spot on the body sensations, life energy brought into awareness. And then let your awareness drift down from the face into the neck. Sensations in the neck. You might wrap awareness around the front of the neck, the sides and the back of the neck. What do those muscles feel like in this moment? You might be able to feel them holding up the weight of the head. The neck has an important job. And then let awareness drift down, down into the chest, over the heart. Over the ribs and down over the belly. What sensations do you have? The abdomen. The 
Moment to moment, the torso has so many sensations. Allow awareness to sink into the chest, into the heart. Allow awareness to sink into the belly. What does your stomach feel like in this moment? Awake and aware to the density of the body. to wrap around from the front to the back. Bring awareness into your shoulders and your spine, your low back as well. And feel the shoulders connecting to your neck, that storehouse of tension and contraction from the day. Bring awareness into the low back. Notice any tension, contraction there, density. You might find on some parts of the body, there might just be some tingling, some vibrations. You might be able to feel the temperature of the room, maybe pulsating. There may be a sense of ease in some parts of the body. And allow your awareness to drift back up through the back of the neck and to the back of the head. Take a little tour. What does the back of the head feel like in this moment? Sometimes on the head we can feel moisture, temperature of the room, some energy flickering, fluttering here and there. And allow awareness to go up even further to the top of the head. In this moment, what's going on on the top of the head? Scanning for any life sensations, any sensations at all. Prickling, tingling, vibrating, pressure, density, pleasure, any sensation, direct contact with life, awareness in direct contact with life energy as it manifests moment to moment in this body. Here we are at the top of our head. this version of body scanning, we have been practicing equanimity. We have moved awareness in and around parts of the body and just accepted 
whatever sensations were arising in that moment. If the mind wanders, we just bring it back to wherever we left off, cultivating mindfulness and concentration and equanimity moment to moment, building skills of awakening. So simple, really. Now let's try it a different way. Let's bring our awareness back to the face. With our awareness on our face, let's intentionally breathe. And as we breathe, let's breathe into the face, bringing healing, nourishing energy Breathe in, allowing energy to flow into the face. Touching every part, the cheeks, the eyes, the forehead. We can breathe in to any part of the body. And as we breathe in, we just take note of how it changes the sensations. Breathing in healing energy into the cheeks and the lips, the eyes and the nose. So much to the human face. Bring awareness to the jaw and take a deep breath into the jaw. Imagining breath energy relaxing the tension we often store there. This type of intentional breathing, bodily fabrication, breathing in a particular way to nourish and to heal. Bring awareness and allow it to sink down into the skull, into the brain. Take a really long, slow, deep breath and imagine that breath energy just nourishing the mind, nourishing the brain. the face and the head, inside and out, breathing in nourishing life energy, breath energy. You might add a little mental fabrication, a little imagery, you might imagine breathing into the head, through any part of the face or the neck or top of the head. On the inhale, imagine nourishing white light, filling your face. Filling your head, the neck. And as you exhale, imagine all the stress and tension leaving the body.
is to move down as we did before into the torso. Bring awareness back into the chest, the heart, the belly, and abdomen. And again, we'll use some bodily fabrication, some mental fabrication to imagine breath energy, healing, nourishing, filling up the chest, filling up the heart, nourishing the belly on the inhale. All the while feeling, keeping awareness in the body, we always want to remain with that first foundation. But we just add some fabrication to help us along. Breathing into the belly, nourishing, healing breath. Breathing out the stress, contraction, fatigue of the day. You can imagine it filling up like a balloon with positivity. And on the exhale, you might even imagine all that negativity just evaporating out of the chest, out of the belly, out of the heart just right out into the room. This kind of fabrication helps to keep the mind stable in the present moment, increases concentration, stabilizes the mind. Let's wrap our awareness back around to the spine, the low back, the upper back. Bring the back into awareness. This time, when you breathe in, imagine breath energy entering the bottom of the spine, moving in through the exhale all the way up to the top of the neck. And on the exhale, flowing back down, cleansing, purifying, breath energy. Take just a minute to breathe in and out. Inhale, imagining the energy going up the spine, bit by bit, and on the exhale, traveling back down. Taking with it all the stress and tension of the day. Once again, let's fill up the body. On the inhale, imagine that your back, the upper back, the lower back, becomes filled up with breath energy like a balloon, really expands with nourishing, nourishing breath energy on the inhale, healing energy, 
Imagine the whole back filling up and on the exhale, contracting, loosening, relaxing. Mental fabrication body fabrication, intentional breathing with some imagery to help us along, combined with awareness, direct contact with sensations as always. And for our last example, bring the whole body into awareness, body sitting, breathing. With awareness of body, we can always add verbal fabrication. We can drop in a nice little wish for all beings. while being present with sensations, we might wish all beings to be free from suffering. And after that verbalization, we let that awareness to sink deeper into the body to feel the effect of that intention. May all beings be free from suffering. Awake and aware to the whole body, we might say, may all beings be safe and secure. May all beings be safe and secure. Bringing awareness to the whole body. May all beings know true love, true happiness, and true joy in this life. How does the heart and mind feel when we say that? Awareness saturating the body, but a little verbalization as well. May all beings be free. May all beings share in the merits of our practice. May all beings be content and at ease. May all beings be free from suffering. Another way to combine this is to go part by part using a different phrase for each part of the body. For example, bring awareness to the face, notice sensations there, and then we think may all beings be filled with joy. May all beings be filled with joy while holding awareness just in the face to watch the sensations arise and pass. We might then move awareness to the heart. And maybe our awareness of the heart and the sensations there are accompanied by the verbal fabrication. May all beings know true love. May all beings know true love in this life.
awareness maintained in direct, con direct contact with sensations, but we add verbalizations along the way. You might bring awareness to your hands and say something like, may all beings feel cared for. May all beings feel safe and secure. And simply rest awareness in hands, direct contact with life energy, breath energy. Here, loving-kindness becomes a full embodied experience. Full experience of sensations, full experience of intention, full experience of aspiration held in awareness. As we come to a close, just bring awareness fully into the body, the whole body sitting, breathing, May all beings be liberated. May all beings know full awakening in this lifetime. May all beings know full awakening in this lifetime. Thank you, my lovely friends, for joining me this evening.